Welcome to the Quillette Podcast. My name is Claire Lehman and I am Editor-in-Chief of Quillette. Quillette is where free thought lives. We are an independent grassroots platform for heterodox ideas and fearless commentary. Our podcast is a team effort and is jointly hosted by myself, Associate Editor Toby Young and Canadian Editor Jonathan Kay. You can support our podcast by visiting patreon.com forward slash Quillette and becoming a monthly patron. By becoming a monthly patron, you'll also receive our weekly newsletter. Hi, my name's Toby Young. I'm one of the London-based editors of Quillette. Today, I'm going to be talking to John Lloyd. John is a contributing editor to the Financial Times and co-founder of the Reuters Institute for the Study of Journalism at the University of Oxford. His latest book is Should Old Acquaintance Be Forgot? The Great Mistake of Scottish Independence. Uh, John recently wrote a piece for Quillette in our After the Virus series called The Way We Live Next. So, John, um, I read your piece, which I thought was an excellent tour de horizon, um, and it sounded like, broadly speaking, you agree with the verdict of Huelbeck, which is things are going to be the same after the pandemic, but just a bit worse. Yes, I can't see any huge shift. Uh, I mean, people on both right and left and others are arguing, especially on the left, that this will usher in a new era uh, in which the state will be much more dominant and in which uh, ownership, nationalization, public ownership and so on will be much more prominent. I don't think that's right. Uh, I think that that there isn't, as a number of people have argued, there isn't really a viable alternative to capitalism or capitalisms, because there are various kinds. Uh, and I don't see this as being a prelude to revolution. So I think we'll see um, a number of changes, uh, perhaps in the way we... We live next. In Britain, the National Health Service will have a, have a good time. And the Conservative Party, if it continues to, to run the place, um, will be much more, if you like, social democratic in the way it operates. But that was, a, that was before the pandemic struck. Uh, that was part of the message of the, of the December 2019 uh, election, which Boris Johnson won handsomely. Uh, so I can't see in any country, really, uh, the pandemic itself fundamentally changing the way we're going. Let's um, just for a moment linger on British politics. You mentioned that mm -hmm. it's likely yeah. to exacerbate a trend that was already visible, which is um, the emergence of Boris Johnson as a left of centre mm -hmm. social democrat prime minister. Um, I was speaking to a senior Conservative MP at the weekend who said that for the first time in quite some time, he was now worried that the Conservative Party might lose the next general election. Um, that uh, I don't think he was thinking so much about um, the mishandling of the crisis by Boris Johnson, which we can discuss. I think he was just nervous that Keir Starmer is clearly a much better leader of the opposition than um, Jeremy Corbyn, um, that uh, the Conservative Party, in order to um, uh, repay 
the enormous amounts of money it's borrowing in order to pay for the various measures it's put in place to manage the financial impact of the pandemic will have to break the tax lock it promised in its last manifesto. And there was a uh, there's speculation today based on a leaked Treasury document that um, they'll have to bust the triple lock on pensions, um, raise income tax, raise VAT. And all of this might be portrayed by an ad, a more agile leader of the opposition as a betrayal of the Conservative Party's election manifesto promises. And anyway, he just thought it was looking a lot bleaker for Boris than it has done in some time. Do you share that prognosis? Uh, to an extent, I think that that although I, I don't share his view, as you as you say it, that the pandemic will be more uh, or rather less of a problem. I think at the moment um, there's a lot of largely media comment and, of course, opposition comment that he's mishandling it, that his talk on Sunday evening uh, about the next phase, the the um, exchange of mottos from stay at home to stay alert uh, was fluffed, really. There was not enough detail. People were worried about what they should do exactly. If that if it continues, if that drumbeat continues, and it can be shown that the government, and not just Johnson, but others, are simply not up to the task, and as has been said many times, most of the people or many of the people in the cabinet are there for the very first time, and, and many came with very little experience of, of government, um, then that, I think, will count very strongly against him and against the, the Conservative Party, especially, as you suggest, if Keir Starmer projects, as he does, insofar as he's visible at the moment, um, a, uh, the image of someone calm, uh, intelligent, uh, and experienced in public affairs, all of which was not true of, of the previous leader of the Labour Party, Jeremy Corbyn. So I think that will be important. Given that, that what will happen in this country, as in uh, almost every other, is that we'll be faced with a vast and enormous bill, which has to be in some way repaid at some time, then that too will be somewhat difficult to manage. Uh, the problem for the Labour Party then would be to answer the question, well, what are you going to do exactly? Um, and I think if if Johnson retains this, as we said, social democratic position and emphasizes the fact that, that whatever happens, the people in, uh, in the lower paid echelons, the people in Midlands and North, the people in the uh, in the areas all over, all, in all four nations, which are still suffering the results of deindustrialization, uh, if the if 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 Johnson can still address that and still get the votes from what had been Labour Party territory, then uh, um, I think he might he might make it. Uh, that assumes, of course, that that his handling of the pandemic isn't isn't seen as disastrous when he comes out of it, and that the count, which at the moment is running against the United Kingdom uh, as one of the worst uh, of in the death rate count, uh, is not held to be 
entirely his fault because he was late in coming in and and late in seeing the seriousness. There's many ifs, but I would put the pandemic on the same level, at least on the same level, possibly even higher, the handling of the pandemic, as something about which the Conservative Party, the government, has to be worried about, especially, as I say, because Starmer can project, and, and insofar as we've seen him or heard him, does project uh, a, a level of efficiency and experience, which actually it probably more than matches that of, of Boris. To what extent do you think um, politics over the next few years, not just in the UK, but across the world, is going to be dominated by a debate about whether locking down citizens, essentially mothballing economies, um, forcing health services to prioritise COVID-19 patients at the expense of patients with other diseases, that 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 debate is going to dominate politics. And if the conclusion of that debate is that the lockdown policy uh, turns out turned out to be a catastrophic error, that it didn't do anything to reduce fatalities, but it did damage economies, caused a global economic recession, creating food poverty, even more food poverty in the developing world, uh, had terrible public health costs and so forth. Won't we see a kind of general reckoning across the world with governments being tossed out everywhere for having stampeded into a policy response, initially at the prompting of the WHO, um, which has turned out to be, or which may be judged to be in a few years' time, a catastrophic historical error, in which case it could help kind of anti-elitist populist movements, which may get a Philip anyway from the pandemic. But if that is the verdict, and if, if, that, if that becomes the dominant view, uh, you could see a kind of terrible reckoning in a few years' time. Uh, you paint a drear picture, but um, I think everything or very, very much depends in this case on what you might call the Swedish example. Uh, if the Swedish example, insofar as I understand it, uh, is seen to be the, the much better response to the pandemic. In other words, if the Swedish death rate, which actually is quite high, I mean, it's about medium level among the European countries. It isn't very low. Um, but if that, if that proves not to be a disastrous decision by the Swedes, and that the death rate is no more than at the median level, uh, and that the damage to the Swedish economy is therefore much less because much more has been kept going, the damage to people themselves of being uh, under, uh, under, the, under the cost of the lockdown for weeks and weeks, um, th if that's proven to be much more efficient and at least no more deadly than the lockdown, then, of course, I think there will be uh, a huge wave of criticism. Whether or not it helps populism is, a, I think, and again, another matter. I mean, just uh, in brackets on that, I think that the populists at the moment, especially in France and Italy, where they're, they're strong, are still pretty strong. Uh, and 
they're more concerned, really, I think, with with uh, showing that the European Union didn't work well, especially the Italians are, are very keen on that, because they will face a reckoning much, much heavier than ours. Um, so I think populism will, will continue to be that. They'll use the fumbling of the pandemic against their own governments, of course, but um, but Europe remains, I think, their main goal. The other thing I think one has to, has to recognize is that nearly all countries, including those which have been most successful, like Germany and South Korea, did go in for some measure of the lockdown. Indeed, South Korea, again, as I understand it, had a very stern lockdown, rapid and uh, and well pleased so that people really did stay at home. Um, the Chinese had a, a, a very strong lockdown after, of course, both um, denying that it was happening and then and causing the the uh, the pandemic to, or at least helping the pandemic to spread throughout the world. So, it isn't clear to me that that there is an obvious as yet alternative to the lockdown, which has been been mostly a a world phenomenon, uh, except for the Swedes, and if, if you like, except for people like Bolsonaro in Brazil, who have essentially said, "Well, look, this is just a, this is just a cold, so no need to worry and carry on working, and uh, everything will just go away. It's all a big fuss." Uh, that may be the end of Bolsonaro, uh, but it certainly will be the end of many Brazilians, uh, as it's their death rate is leaping up at the moment. Uh, I'm not sure, unless the, the, the Swedish example can be proven to be much more successful than the others, that there will be a, um, a wave of populist reaction to the mistaken, uh, the, the mistaken strategies which their governments have, fo have followed. Uh, uh, in part because we certainly we just don't know that that lockdown has not been the best response as long as lockdown is is really is lockdown. In our case, it has been not all that strict, uh, and it certainly isn't strict now. In the case of the of Italy, it was strict, but only after the worst had happened or was happening. In France, somewhat in between. In Germany. They reacted um, very strictly and have come out, out of it well. I think there's also, as a number of um, uh, medical experts have said, there are other issues involved in it other than simply the lockdown or no lockdown or weak lockdowns. There are um, different uh, degrees of infection in different countries. There'll be a huge uh, desire for good analysis there already is, but certainly once and if this is contained, there'll be a huge desire for real good analysis. And I'm not sure it would all go against the lockdown as a, as a worldwide strategy. A short message from our commercial supporters at BetterHelp, an online counseling service that helps people become happier and more productive. By logging on at BetterHelp, 
you can connect with your professional licensed counselor in a safe and private online environment according to your own pace and schedule, using secure video or phone sessions, as well as online chat and text, and all without ever having to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room. Some of the specialties of BetterHelp counselors include depression, anger, stress, anxiety, relationship problems, sleep trouble, and trauma. BetterHelp uses a network of 3,000 licensed therapists across all 50 U.S. states, and you can switch therapists at no charge to make sure you find the right fit. Financial aid is available for those who qualify. And of course, anything you share with the professionals at BetterHelp is strictly confidential. Quillette podcast listeners get 10% off their first month service by using the discount code Quillette. If you'd like to know more, please go to betterhelp.com, B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P, slash Quillette. That's betterhelp.com slash Quillette. And now, back to our podcast. When I say that um, anti-lockdown sentiment may fuel populism, I'm thinking in particular of a new political party, which has just sprung up in Germany, which is called... um, it translates as Resistance 2020 Germany, uh, and it's already attracted over 100,000 members, which I think makes it the fourth largest party in Germany now, though it, there are various impediments if it wants to try and contest any seats because it's a single-issue party, and single-issue parties are prohibited by the basic law from contesting elections in Germany. It also receives anonymous donations, which could be a problem. Uh, but the resistance to the lockdown in Germany has been quite pronounced, um, uh, much more so than here. Have you been surprised by how uh, supine and acquiescent the British people have been to the suspension of, you know, age-old liberties, some of them dating back to the 12th century? Uh, I've been a bit surprised by it, and I guess my worry is, as you say in your piece, it's like the suspension of rights is likely to be temporary. Um, but I'm slightly nervous that governments, not just here but across the world, uh, will have been pleasantly surprised by how willing populations have been to um, uh, endure the, put up with the suspension of their rights and may may decide to do it more often in future. Hey, I'm, I think I disagree with the, the premise of that. I think that in some countries, and thank God our own, the British, and many others, uh, the Canadian-American, the Australian-New Zealand, the French, the Italian, I think, um, probably the Germans, the Scandinavians, and so on. But democracy and civil society, the two taken together, essentially, to define a vibrant democratic state, is so rooted, including in the governing class or the governing classes of any you know, of any of the major parties. I suppose one have to one has to accept now the the populist parties, some of which show a quite strongly authoritarian turn, uh, but but are still not in power. And when they were in power, briefly in in Italy, it was a bit of a fiasco. Um, but I I think that as I say, the the embedding of democratic uh, assumptions and civil society activity, including in America. And in America, I think, is a good example of a country whose 
president uh, is something of a disaster, not in everything he's done. Um, in some ways, he's followed, in a major way, he's followed President Obama in withdrawing from from uh, intervention in the in the rest of the world. But in the way he's led this, the way he's re- responded, or rather retired from American leadership um, of the of 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 the world, or at least the Western part of the world. Um, even though he's clearly unfit to be a president in many ways, the, the, both the civic society in, uh, in the U.S. and its institutions, including um, free speech and free media, have remained strong. Indeed, I would argue that for our neck of the woods, for uh, the news media, for journalism as a whole, for freedom of speech and so on. America's come through this pretty well, and the, the press has come through it pretty well. Press, by press, I mean the news media in, in general. But they've seen uh, a robust pushback to the kind of authoritarian, including um, uh, racist elements in, in, the, in their president, whether or not that means that he's going to be... Uh, defeated in the elections later this year, if they do take place this year. The, his opposition with Joe Biden isn't probably the strongest that, that, that you could imagine. Uh, but it does seem to me that America shows that the embedding of, of the elements that have grown up in the last two to three centuries in that country and in different ways in others is are really too deeply rooted to be... Um, to be pulled up um, for the reason, as I say, that they have been accepted, worked in by the political class and by the um, the official class, the civil service, and by the military. I can't think of one military, including the the Russian, the um, I beg your pardon, including the American, the more, most powerful of militaries, in which you could see a military beginning to flex its political muscles in a kind of you know, Argentinian and, uh, or Chilean in the past way uh, and saying, ah, well, now is, it's, it's our time now, boys, because the, the civilians are uh, obviously biddable, scared, uh, and we can take over. They don't want to take over. I can't see one military in the, in the democratic countries um, beginning to rub its hands with with anticipation of striding into the presidential palace. Do you think that international organisations have fared poorly during this crisis? I'm thinking in part of the WHO, um, which uh, initially seemed to faithfully uh, echo the official Chinese line at the beginning of the pandemic that there was no human-to-human transmission and then lavished the Chinese communist authorities with praise for the manner in which they'd 
managed the outbreak, even though it was extraordinarily draconian, uh, and then seemed to praise Sweden uh, a couple of weeks ago as a model for how to respond, uh, which seemed to be completely contradicting what it had said earlier. Uh, generally, the WHO, the WHO, I don't think, has emerged, or the WHO hasn't emerged well, but the EU hasn't emerged particularly well from the crisis either, hasn't shown much leadership, um, anti EU sentiment seems to have increased in Italy. Um, in general, um, the uh, effect of the pandemic has been, I think, as you say in your piece, um, to uh, provide a stimulus to various nationalist movements across Europe. Um, how's the EU going to emerge from this, do you think? And, and what about the kind of general cause of internationalism? I think the, the, we, we still have to see how much the EU can claw back some kind of some some position of honour, if you will, or some uh, some sense that it's it's acted well. Uh, the the European Commission uh, president, she I think, has to uh, still announce what the EU is going to be capable of in terms of putting up. Uh, money. The uh, ECB, I think, will be the main um, the main conduit for that. What I think she cannot do, however, and what the leadership in Brussels and also the President Macron is the most um, the most enthusiastic for a, a more integrated Europe. Um, the elements in Germany and elsewhere who are also uh, would like to see more integration, especially on the fiscal side. Um, what they cannot do, I think, is to overcome this deep rift which has remained, the rift really, broadly speaking, between the North and the South. Uh, and they, have, they, they can't do that because it seems to me not just that the North is, you know, a, a bunch of skinflints who won't give the poor Italians, the Greeks and the, and the Spaniards the money they need, but, but because there's a, a fundamental difference of approach um, that the northern states, above all, have really, I think, come around almost to a kind of, to say so, a Brexit position. Not, of course, that they're going to leave, at least not soon, uh, especially those within the, within the Eurozone, because it would be a disaster for the economies, which is something that now besets Italy. It was clearly a mistake for Italy to go into the, uh, into the Euro now 20 years ago, uh, especially at the rate they did. But, you know, not, n not being in the Euro, coming out of the Euro, it would be even worse to go back to a lira while your debts are den denominated in, in Euros and dollars would be an absolute disaster, at least in the short and medium term. Uh, but you have a surly uh, Italy with, with its um, traditional ruling class, pro-European, very pro-European ruling class in the presidential palace with President Mattarella and with Prime Minister Conte, who after all has not been elected. Indeed, the Italians haven't really had an election for almost a decade. Uh, uh, and therefore a reckoning has got to be made there. It's going to be very difficult to make, I think. Between Italy seems to me to be the fever ward, really, of the U European Union. Spain less, because at the moment at least it's got a very pro-European government. And the, 
the poor old Greeks, I think, really have to take what they can. They haven't got the, the muscle to do anything else. But as long as the Netherlands, the um, Scandinavian countries, um, uh, uh, and a large amount of sentiment in Germany are really are resiling from, are, are standing quite far back from any kind of at least radical integration and don't seem uh, willing to be part of a, a greater fiscal integration, then there's not much, I think, that the centre, that the, the people in the Commission and the, the Parliament can do. So I would see after the pandemic, uh, and again, we have to assume there will be an after the pandemic rather than a kind of different levels of pandemic, the, um, I can't see the European Union coming out of this very well, even if, as I think it probably will do, it puts up a great deal of money, in, in large part because money can only go so far, clearly. It can help in the short term, it can get over uh, bumps, but it can't, of course, make the kind of radical reforms that Italy especially has to make if it's to, again, be a relatively successful export-oriented state and attack, finally, or at least uh, do something about uh, what will be an even more impoverished uh, South. So it, it clearly, the European Union, I think, has got, uh, looking at a rather grim future, um, for, as far as the WHO goes, as far as one can tell, without being anything like an expert on it, it has been a bit of a patsy to the, um, the Chinese, uh, especially at the beginning. Um, and to give cover to the, 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 the Chinese Communist Party, the governing party, to um, uh, not to at least reflect some of the criticism of the, the, the clearly very, very uh, devious way in which it operated for at least a month when it knew perfectly well that there was um, the, uh, that a pandemic was coming and all it did was to, was to tell the people who said so to shut up. The WHO should have said something then. Um, and as you suggest, it should be at least consistent in what it said. If it agrees with something one day and then uh, agrees with the opposite the other, it, it's, it's weakening itself. So the leadership of the WHO, I think, again, will have to be a large question in the minds of the, of the national governments which fund it. It's time for a short message from Blinkist. If you're the type of person who reads Quillette and listens to the Quillette podcast, you also might be the sort of person who reads a lot of books. But like me, you probably never have enough time to read quite as many as you'd like. And that's where Blinkist comes in. Open the Blinkist app on your phone, tablet, or browser, and suddenly you're able to read or listen to expert 15-minute summaries of popular nonfiction books. For one low price, you get unlimited access to the entire Blinkist library. There are 12 million people using Blinkist. For some users, it's the soundtrack to their daily slog through traffic. Others read Blinkist on the subway. In my case, I listen to Blinkist when I walk my dog, which usually takes about 15 minutes. That's one whole book. Go through the Blinkist catalog and you'll find all sorts of big brain books like Upheaval by Jared Diamond and Sapiens by Yuval Noel Harari. 
but they've also got those business books you see in airport swivel racks, not to mention the Communist Manifesto by Marx and Engels, and of course, 12 Rules for Life by Jordan Peterson. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash Quillette. Try it free for seven days and save 25% off your new subscription. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash Quillette to start your free seven-day trial at 25% off. And now, back to our podcast. So that brings me to my last question, John, which is how you think China will emerge from this crisis. Um, As you say in your piece, it's clearly trying to position itself as the saviour of the world, uh, dispatching doctors and PPE across the globe, even though the PPE often turns out to be worse than useless. Um, I mean, surely the, the, the status, the authority of China will be diminished by this because, as you say, um, you know, initially it seemed to be in complete denial that it had a problem. Uh, you saw that in the way it, in the way in which it tried to hush up the doctors in Wuhan who tried to raise the alarm at the end of December. Um, it didn't put. It didn't make. I, mean, I think the first uh, non-pharmaceutical intervention it put in place was the travel ban in Hubei on January the 23rd, which was two days before the Chinese New Year, and by which time something like five million people from the province had already fanned out across China. And even when it did put a travel ban in place, that was a travel ban on internal travel within China, but not travel from China to the rest of the world. People were still flying out of places like Wuhan to Milan, to Paris, to London. and a team of researchers from Southampton University have estimated that had China responded quickly when the doctors raised the alarm uh, and tried to contain the outbreak three weeks earlier than it did, um, had it done so more robustly than it did on January 23rd, the number of infections would have been reduced by 95%, which suggests that the outbreak could have been contained Uh, in the Hubei province. Um, So uh, it's hard to imagine, isn't it, that the Chinese leadership will emerge well out of this, whether it'll be their Chernobyl or not remains to be seen, but surely its authority will will take a bit of a battering. I think it it certainly should take a bit of a battering. But when when you bring up the example of Chernobyl, Chernobyl, of course, uh, it was possible for Chernobyl to be a defining moment in the in the uh, in the Soviet Union's history, which was going to end soon, uh, and it was a defining moment because because the general secretary of the Communist Party was Mikhail Gorbachev, and he uh, miraculously, after uh, all of his adult life being an official of the Communist Party, had enough decency to to say we can't go on like this. Uh, I think another general secretary had another general secretary been elect been elected in his place, and there were several other contenders. They would have blustered out. They would have just kept on saying things like it's it's the fault of the West. Uh, it's been exaggerated. It's anti-Soviet propaganda, and they would have had people in the West echoing that, and then just hunkered down and carried on. 
Um, China obviously hasn't got a Mikhail Gorbachev. Indeed, the Chinese Communist Party leadership, especially this one, regards him as an idiot uh, for doing what he did. And so they're <laughs> not going to take that route. Um, I think it's, it, it's in part what will happen to the Chinese, I think, um, will be dependent on how successful they are in suborning including the populist parties of Western Europe. Um, I mean, uh, Matteo Salvini, the leader of the Lega Party in Italy, uh, is a Russophile, uh, um, and that's putting it mildly. I mean, a man who, has, who went to Crimea to recognize its existence as a Russian state and who um, probably gets a fair amount of money from, from the Kremlin. Uh, Madame Le Pen in France did get, I mean, it was... It, it was open that uh, her party, Rassemblement National, got l large sums of money from, from China. They aren't, I think, going to turn suddenly upon the, the, the hand that feeds them. And China's power is such. And the, um, the, the fact that Donald Trump seems to be so ambiguous about it at the moment he's very much against it he's arguing that joe biden isn't nearly as uh, as aggressive against china as he is although actually biden is uh, realizes that he's got to at least match trump um but trump is no uh, is is no president of uh, for following a uh, coherent foreign policy on china as on anything else so there's a major weakness there. There's clearly a weakness in, in, in Europe um, um, because there's no one coherent center. The foreign policy, there isn't really a, foreign, a European foreign policy and there won't be countries like the UK are fairly solidly against um, a Chinese tyranny. Um, others are much milder about it and probably will continue to be so. There'll be calls for, from, and there should be many calls from governments, from experts, from centers um, who are doing the research, like Southampton, on it, for China to own up and to say, uh, to, to, to say that they were wrong and that, they, that this cannot happen again. Indeed, since much of these pandemics uh, many of these pandemics come from China. It's imperative, not just on a moral basis, but on a practical medical basis, that they do recognize what they're doing and, and literally clean up their act. But I would imagine that the response of the Chinese Communist Party under Xi Jinping will be, mind your own business, uh, um, and we will, we will carry on as we were before. Uh, and just they just put out the propaganda, and the propaganda is to a very large extent um, that what that the criticism is Western propaganda uh, and not worth listening to. I think that's what's going to happen to China, and I'd be I'd be surprised, pleasantly surprised, but but surprised if they took another course to say uh, we must look at ourselves, we must own up that this wasn't right, and, uh, and be public about that to the rest of the world.
John Lloyd, thank you very much for talking to Quillette. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Okay, thanks, John. If you would like to support Quillette, please consider becoming a patron. Head to our Patreon page. That's patreon.com forward slash Quillette. If you haven't already, follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Do you like what you're hearing? Perhaps you would like to read more about the issues in today's discussion. Head to quillette.com where you will find more content.